Next Chapter Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. An unlikely friendship begins in the Paramount Plus original movie, Little Wing, starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Reeling from her parents' divorce, Caitlin steals a valuable bird to save her home, but instead forms a bond with the owner, leading to a new outlook on life. Little Wing. Now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Rated PG 13. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people. And you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. The 500. The 500. J.A.M. been walking us down through that. 2012 edition, so it ain't nothing too new. Hundreds more to go, and in need of a friend. The king of peace for Angelo, talking the 500 until the end. Talking the 500 until the end. With my man J.M. On the 500, talking the 500 until the end. Today is gonna be the day that they're gonna throw it back to you. What does that By mean? Now you somehow Who's throwing what, what to me? Do. I need to know. I don't believe Noel, that Liam, mystery the lyrics of Oasis. The song is Wonderwall from the 1995 record, What's the Story, Morning Glory. It's also number 378 out of 500 on the 500 with Jam, me, Josh Adam Myers, the King of Fleece, the King Cadougal. What's up, you doogly spooglies? Fleece Army, man, oh man, oh shabbats, it has been a week. We're coming off the TLC tip. We're in like a full 90s explosion right now. I want to thank everybody that came out to see me at the House of Comedy in Minnesota. The shows were great. Uh, bombed hard, first show Saturday. The second show got a standing ovation. Really proud of that. Chelsea, you were there. I fucking love you. A lot of Fleece Army was there. You can see me this weekend, March 11th through the 13th at American Comedy Company in San Diego. Three shows, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. I'm bringing Lekka, bringing my friend Jenny Zagrino, and maybe some other surprises. It's going to be fun. All tickets are at my website, joshadammyers.com. And guys, we have our Patreon. Join it. Because we got new episodes of Make Me a Fan of Your Record. Records that didn't make the list. I'm sitting down with people like John Doerr. We're doing Tragically Hip. I got Jeremiah Watkins coming up. I got Ryan Sickler. I got a bunch of good stuff. Plus, you get the video a day before it drops on YouTube. $5 a month. Patreon.com backslash the 500 podcast. This is a very, very special episode. Very, 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 very... Did I say very special? Why is it very special? Because I have two 
diehard fans of the band Oasis. I couldn't decide who to put on, so I said, fuck it, because both of them asked. So I got both. Two of my very, very good friends, Jim Jeffries and Steve Byrne. If you don't know who Jim Jeffries are, you're a fucking idiot. He's one of the funniest comedians working today. And if you don't know who Steve Byrne is, same thing applies. Both of them die-hard Oasis fans. Hysterical episode. Rate, review, and most importantly, subscribe to The 500 and listen free on all platforms. If you're listening on Apple, leave us a five-star rating and a review. You can follow me at Josh Adam Myers on all social media and go to my website, joshadammyers.com for videos, shows, everything. Email the podcast at 500podcast at gmail.com and follow the Facebook group, The 500 Podcast with Jam, run by Crazy Evan. He's so zany. And for all things 500, Go to our website, the500podcast.com. Guys, I'm excited. You're excited. There's nothing left to say, but let me see if I can do my own uh, Liam. Here we go with, with number 378. What's the story? Morning Glory by Oasis. It's not very good, but I tried my best. What's up, everybody? Before we get into the episode, I want to tell you about our sponsor, Sunset Lake CBD. They are a farm-owned business that ships CBD products directly from their farm to your door. For years, Sunset Lake was a Vermont dairy farm producing milk for Ben & Jerry's ice cream, and then in 2018, they diversified and started growing hemp for CBD. With a product for everyone, they offer pre-rolls, Hemp cigars, hemp flowers, as well as tinctures. The tincture is incredible. I took it, removed all my anxiety. I was 100% relaxed. And then when my dog, Lekka, hurt her paw, my friend Justin Silver, who's a dog trainer, was like, you need to give her CBD. And I was like, oh my God, I got shipped a bunch of stuff from Sunset Lake. Let me give it to the dog. And my dog was walking better a day and a half later, and I give it to her every day. She loves it. It's good for them. It's good for you. CBD is one of the dopest therapeutic things in the world. Sunset Lake CBD will save you money by shipping high-quality CBD products directly from their farm to your door. So for high-quality CBD, go to sunsetlakecbd.com. Use code JAM500 for 20% off all products. Do it. Do it. Dead. All right, so let's just dive into it because there's no point of dilly dallying. So, since I've known you, Jim, and Steve, I've associated. One band with both of y'all. Uh, Jim, because we talked about it. I think that was when I had you do the jam the first time. You taught, We talked about Oasis. Uh, and Steve, you dress... I mean, you, right now, you are dressed exactly in a Liam Gallagher outfit. My pretty green parka, yeah. <laughs> you're drunk and you're spitting at the pop. Um, <laughs> That's right. So let's start with you, Steve, because... like, So tell me how this this fascination with Oasis began? Well, the fascination began, I was in college. I heard, I always liked alternative music. I never liked all the kids loved Tupac and Biggie and hip hop. And I just never got into it. And I always loved the Beatles. And then I hear this song, Wonderwall. And it was just those last 
piano chord. Dun, 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 dun. And I was like, wow, that I don't know. There's something like I was in a trance after hearing that. And I went out and bought the CD and I barreled through it and I, I fucking loved it. And then I worked at a record store and this guy's like, you got to listen to the one before it. It's even better. Definitely maybe. I'm like, what is this? And I, I heard it. And then you go down this rabbit hole at the time where you could go to CD stores and you would have to buy these Japanese imports and you get all these singles that you've never heard or like these Beatles covers. And it was one of those bands where as soon as I heard it, I was hooked. There was something melodic and the lyrics spoke to me. But then I pick up Q magazines, right? Like all these Q magazines, Mojo and Q and NME and all these different magazines. And you're reading the the interviews. You're like, these guys don't give a fuck. They're hilarious. And that's why to this day, I still buy all these magazines. I know people that love the Stones, people that love Van Halen, people that love the Killers. And you could love these bands. But there was something more where you wanted to learn about this band. You wanted to learn about what they're doing today or tomorrow or their take on Blur or their take on, you know, Jamiroquai or whoever it might be and whoever they're shitting on. So it was almost like I love the music, but then I, I love the band just as much as I love the music. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, Jim, you're up, and hopefully you have some magazines and shit. Uh, I, have a, I have a very, very similar story. It's <laughs> So I, I was date. I was like eighteen. I was dating like this hipster chick in Australia. Hipster chick in Australia means uh, she wasn't wearing shoes, and um, she <laughs> and so and so she was really into like all the new music, or whatever. And I'd heard of Oasis, and as same as Steve said, I liked the Beatles and that sort of stuff. And I thought they were just sort of like piss takes of the Beatles, and so I I, I was reluctant to get into them. And she kept on playing the album we're about to talk to. And then the same thing, they, they actually they had a petition in Australia to bring them out to Australia, and they never came until Be Here Now. And we all know what happened there. There was a scone incident on the plane and all that type <laughs> of stuff. I went to that concert in Perth, right? But anyway, uh, then I listened to the first album. I was like, fuck me, they're all hits. And then it's like uh, Master Plan came out with all the B-sides. I was like, their B-sides are better than all the other albums. I was listening to these albums and I liked every single track. And then it became sort of unfashionable to like the Beatles. And I was like, nah, fuck off. I fucking, no, the Oasis. I, I fucking love Oasis. Go fuck yourself, man. And then I was in Britain and I saw them live <laughs> maybe 10, 12 times when I was living in the UK. I was down to my last 50 pounds in the UK. I moved over there with a thousand quid and to set myself up to go do comedy. I was down to 50 bucks and I had no gigs booked or anything. I didn't have a job or anything. And I decided to go see them. They were doing um, Heathen Chemistry album and they were doing a, a warm-up gig at the Hammersmith Apollo before they did the arenas, right? And so I went down and there was this guy and he sold me a ticket and he goes, he goes, no, 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 it's, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's 40 quid to get in. This, the ticket was only 20 bucks because it was a warm-up gig, right? 20 quid. Yeah. And I was like, oh, come on, man. I love Oasis. I don't have this money. He goes, no, it's 50 quid. And I go, how about 40? How about 40? Leave me 10 bucks to buy a fucking drink, man. He's like, nah, it's 50, it's 50, it's 50. He said, don't worry about it. I chased the guy down the fucking street to give him the money. I chased <laughs> him down the street to buy a forge ticket. Oh. And I fucking get up to the counter and then the hologram doesn't read. Oh. I've just got this fucking shitty printout of a fucking ticket. And I went into this bar and I said, oh, I've been ripped off. And I had my, I, I just sat there and ordered a water. And then there was another bloke there who'd been ripped off who bought me a beer. 
And the guy in the bar actually gave me a job that day to be a bartender, and I got my first oh, wow. job. And uh, he commiserated. And I'll tell you a funny story about that bloke. He was a big Oasis fan as well, and he couldn't get into the concert. And the big joke that this cunt always did, he loved this joke, right? Whenever we were in the bar and we had specials, he'd always go, ah, and the special today is Oasis Soup. And then I was like, yes. And he goes, ask me why it's Oasis Soup. And I go, why is it Oasis Soup? Because you get a roll with it. Ah, right. That was his, <laughs> <laughs> that was his big fucking gag. Anyway, so I, I just, yeah, I, I, I've interviewed Noel. I once interviewed Noel on my TV show, and that was like Comedy Central like, oh, but no one really listens to Oasis anymore. And I went, that's what I want to do on my TV show is interview Noel Gallagher. It was one of the great meetings of my fucking life. I fucking love the guy. Both of you guys have sang Wonderwall on the goddamn Comedy Jam. Jim, you did it on the TV show. It's, wait, but it's, wait, I always looked at you guys because, Jim, I know there's like, I know you, there's like the Stone Roses and the Beatles. And, and I think. Oh, the, the, the Stone Roses have got, because there's, there's, no, there's no Oasis without the Stone Roses, right? But right now in the pandemic, you have to check out Ian Brown's Twitter. He's uh, he's an anti-vaxxer, and he's gone to fucking town, right? Now, in, in and I love Ian Brown. I've got a picture of Ian Brown in my office, and uh, I fucking love Ian Brown. But Ian Brown's like, I won't fucking let anyone come to a concert if they have to be vaccinated. People just come and hear me fucking sing. Now, in Britain, there's a holiday camp called uh, Butlins, and Butlins is like you're on a cruise ship, but you're still on the land, right? You take your whole family there for like a summer camp and then you go up and you see the entertainment. They might do a Disney show one day and all this type of stuff, right? And Ian Brown tweeted the other day, he tweeted, he goes, I won't sing in front of anybody who needs to have a vaccine like that, right? And then someone tweeted underneath, isn't that up to Butlins? So, so, (laughs) (laughs) so. But I always liked that sort of whole because because living in I lived in Manchester before Oasis and the Stone Roses. People were just listening to shit. They were just listening to dance music and popping pills at the Hacienda. And the Hacienda now is where the comedy store is and a bunch of apartments. But the whole rave culture in Britain all started from Manchester, and to have guitar music actually beat that out, it was a real fucking movement, man. Yeah. Well. Well. So. So. What's the obsession then? Because I've always looked at Oasis. Listen, I love Oasis. I I was I had my Britpop obsession in the early two thousands. It really started with Radiohead. Never got into Blur, but it's. I think I've always been fascinated with British music. I feel like the best music in the world is always coming out of England. But the two of you, like when when this album was but was coming up, both of you were like. I got dibs on this. And I was like, and you're two of my, two of like my, my, my favorite people in the world. And I was like, well, fuck it. I, I would feel bad if I have one on because you both. I have, I have dibs on be here now when it comes in at number one. <laughs> right. <as hell. laughs> if you listen to be here now, I call it my cocaine oh. album, right? Everything's overproduced and long and it just sounds down. And like there's an airplane that's coming into land for like a minute and a half. <laughs> and then like all yeah. around the world last eight and a half minutes because it had to be the same length as hey jude and there's a lot of fucking shit on that yeah. album but i still fucking love that album man every song could be half. do you know what i mean yeah. i love that album too. do you know what i mean is one of my favorite oasis songs i fucking love that song i don't care what anybody says i know the story behind the record i, I haven't listened to the full record in a shit long time but dude that shit back on drugs, this album listen, is, is you can't do it sober that one you gotta get into it well, Josh, I, let me play you this. This is when I, I fell in love with uh, Noel, okay? 
Like I, I remember hearing this, they go, they go, oh, you've been nominated for all this stuff, and are you happy? And this is the, this is like the video where I was like, oh my god. What you asking me if I'm happy? Listen, I've got eighty-seven million pounds in the bank. I've got a Rolls Royce. I've got three stalkers. I'm about to go on the board at Manchester City. I'm part of the greatest band in the world. Am I happy with that? No, I'm not. I want more. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like I play that for people all the time. They're like, "Why do you still listen to them all the time?" I'm like, "Because of this." It was always like this brash attitude and optimism, and just it, it was a great, it was a great set of tunes to 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 place within the foundation of your twenties to spring you forward through life because it told you you could do anything. And we were listening to Nirvana, we were listening to Pearl Jam and these grunge bands that didn't want fame. And then these guys come along like I want it all, and it's like, yeah, who doesn't? Who doesn't dream of better yeah. days? Yeah. Uh, when, so I, when I when I interviewed Noel, the one thing they said to me was, uh, "Don't ask him about his brother." <laughs> so, so that was the one note. I had to talk about his new album and all that type of stuff, right? And then we had a great interview. And at the end of the interview, I went, uh, I went, look, one more question. I'd hate myself if I didn't ask this question, but as a big Oasis fan, I need to know. And he just sat back, <laughs> and he was about. He yeah. was about to fucking hit me, and I went, and I went. I need to ask. And he goes, "Yes." I went, "Do you like me?" <laughs> and he goes, "Yeah, you're all right. You're all right. Yeah, you're fucking drinking and all that type of stuff and swearing and all that." And I go, "Will we ever hang out?" And he went, "No." <laughs> my favorite, my, my favorite Noel quote is this one. You'll know this one, Steve. When he's when he's explaining his brother, and he goes, "Not." Uh, he goes, "Liam." Is like a man living in a world of soup, and he's holding a fork. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I got to tell you, the press—they always made it seem like Noel was the ambassador, right? The cool one, and Liam was the whack job. And slowly, it rolls out over the last few years that Liam's actually kind of grounded, and Noel's kind of a little bitchy. <laughs> and I was—I was going to see them in Vegas. Um, when, when Brandon Flowers walked into the, into the hard rock to see them at the joint, when he decided he's going to be in the killers. And I was at that show and I flew from New York city, had a layover in Los Angeles to go to Vegas. And in that layover, as I'm going to Vegas to go watch Oasis, Oasis gets on the plane and we were, we, we get off the plane and I, I, I walk over to Noel and I'm with my girlfriend at the time. I go, no, I flew from New York to see you. Can I just get a picture? And he was sitting there waiting for his bags. And he, he had his sunglasses on. He goes, oh, let's get it over with. <laughs> so he stood up and I got a picture with him. And I go over to get my bags. And Liam was waiting for his bags, talking to one of the roadies. I go, Liam, I came from New York. Can I get a picture? He goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. We get a picture. He goes, so what you doing? Where, where are you coming from New York? I go, oh. I, I, but, but, and he asked me what I do for a living. I go, I'm a stand-up comedian. He spent the next 10 minutes Ask me what it's like to be a stand-up comedian. He loves New York. He's always wanted to see a stand-up show in New York and all this. Just on and on and on. And then his handlers pulled him away. I was like, wow, it was the complete opposite of what I've been told in all these goddamn magazines. And it was really cool to have, you know, 
met two people I really respect and idolize even even all these years later. You know what's funny is like I always kind of looked at Oasis as like a Beatles ripoff. This is when it first dropped. I was like, this well, is. Well, there's a lot. There's a lot of indications that they are. There's a lot yeah, of stuff he said it. He he yeah. basically said it's like you know, Beatles is our favorite band. They're in a sense taking their formula, and I and I always kind of like yeah, I like Wonderwall. Yeah, I like I like Don't Look Back in Anger, but. It wasn't until they performed on the, I'm pretty sure it was the VMAs and they did Champagne Supernova. And, and Liam, it, we're going to play that clip towards the end. In the mid, right at the end of the song, he's like, and we don't need that because you have something, something for the summer. And then he spits on MTV. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, that's the most badass shit I have ever seen in my life. I always liked that Liam would leave the stage the second he finished his part of the song, right? If, yes. <laughs> if he's singing and last bit of lyrics, he doesn't wait for dun, 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 dun. He's off. He's fucking gone off to the side. The yeah, show's so over. Yeah. I was like, uh, I, well, I just got one more thing that I, I had seen recently, uh, Josh. And Jim, I'm sure you know this one too, but um, the guy from Blink-182, I think Tom, they were doing this warp tour and Blink-182 is performing and, and, and Oasis comes to the States, they're performing and and they're all backstage and the door kicks open and Liam Gallagher walks in and Blink-182, they're partying. He goes, Blink-182. And they go, yeah, yeah, you're, you're Oasis. He goes, yeah, look, you guys, since I've been in America, you're the best I've seen. And they go, oh, thanks, man. You like us? He goes, I didn't say that. And he walks out. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure you've heard the, the Maroon 5 story, right? So they're up in the Hollywood Hills, and this is when they were playing like um, fucking, you know, they, well, they weren't that big in America, right? They were still playing moderate size rooms. Were. So they're in the Hollywood Hills having a party, and they, they, they meet this guy who comes up to Noel and goes, Noel, you're the reason I got into music. I just fucking love you. You're my favorite guitarist, whatever. And he's like, oh, fucking thank you, Mom. Thank you. That's really sweet. Yeah, really, really nice here. And he goes, I'm in a band as well. And he goes, oh, yeah, what's your band? And he goes, Maroon 5. He goes, you're fucking shit. You're fucking band. You're fucking, your fucking band is shit. Like this, right? Anyway, anyway, cut, cut to, cut to about three hours later. He's still drinking at the party, doing cocaine, all that type of stuff, right? He's lined up to go to the toilet and that bloke's there. And he goes, why the fuck are you still here? You're fucking, he goes, you're fucking shit. And then the guy goes, it's my house. <laughs> he's like, that's oh a fucking God, nice money you got here, that. man. It's a fucking nice house. You've done well for yourself. Uh, oh, that's so funny. Dude, you, I, you do such a good fucking impersonation of them, man. It is so. I know you do, like, you said you did two impersonations. Well, actually, a long time ago, you said you only did one, which was Homer Simpson. I do Homer dude, Simpson fucking... and Cliff Clavin because they're the same. Oh, 100%. But I, I lived in Manchester for a long time. Well, Cliff Clavin, ooh, look sweet. Hey, the postal service is the same thing. Yeah, tell you what, they know me. It's the same voice. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, price line. 
This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. But, uh, so, <laughs> oh, that's great. So, is, so, is, so, because I've always noticed that most of the people that love that really I'm not gonna say this really like, but it's like there's not there's no in between with Oasis. It's like either oh, I've gotten you into don't fucks. like them at all or you fucking love them. So so why? Why are you guys like what's the main is it this record? Is it just the the volatility of their careers? Is it the rivalries? Like why? I think it's the first two albums are the real things that, that solidify it for you. Where you those two albums are just every track, every track I can listen to everyone. I don't skip over a single track when I listen to it, every single time. And and master plans the same way where you got going. How the fuck are these things B sides, you know? And then the, every, every other album past that, you start going. There's three tracks on each album that could have been on any one of the albums. Where you go, that one's still gold and that one's still good. And it, it, it's you know, it, I also like the drama of it as well. That there's two brothers that you can tell they love each other, but they fucking hate each other. Which are, they write songs where. We need each other. We believe in each other. And it's like, and then they don't talk on fucking tours and stuff like that. And I have brothers that I love who are fucking pain in the asses. Both of them, you brothers, but I fucking love them. You know, I, I, I relate to it in some way. Yeah, I think you, you, you enjoy the soap opera of it all. But I think especially when I was younger and I was a comic in New York City and I was starting off, it's like, oh, I should talk shit on people too. You know, you have some confidence in yourself. And I remember I talked shit. I was doing some, this is just when websites start coming along and cringe humor came out. And Patrick obviously owns the stand now, but he did this website called cringe humor that was all about the stand up scene in New York City. And I went on it and he was asking me about stuff. And, it, and like Comedy Central was all into like Dimitri and Berbiglia. And I equated them to being like Radiohead. And I'm like, I'm fucking Oasis. I'm like a man of the streets. And <laughs> So we're doing this and I'm talking shit on, on Dimitri and we're friends and I'm just, I'm slagging him and, <laughs> and then it comes out and like two weeks later he calls me. He's like, Hey, why'd you talk shit about me? I thought we we're friends. And I was like, yeah, yeah, that's, that's probably bad. <laughs> and so I just realized real quick, I don't have that capacity in myself to talk shit on people and stand by it. And I also didn't have the hits. I think if you can have the hits, if you have the success, if you have this global success and you and, and your your tunes are almost undeniable, yeah, I think you, you've earned the right to talk a little shit on people, but I didn't have any of that. So so I learned pretty quick that that, that works for a very specific kind of human being because I know even in reading interviews, Brandon Flowers, I think he was influenced by Oasis in early interviews because he talked a lot of shit on people. And he said the last few years he's had to make amends and call people and apologize. Now, I don't know specifically, but in just interviews I've read, that that seems to be the yeah. case. Yeah, I, I think it's it's like, I think, well, Morty, you're going to tell us about this story and the rivalries that they had. So, Morty, why don't you go and fill us in and catch us up to this record, okay? All right, so let's start with, let's start with this record, okay. So, released on October 2nd of 1995 on Creation Records and produced by Owen Morris and Noel Gallagher. This is the second album by the Manchester, England, Brit pop rock band. I just want to give a quick shout out. February 29th, another great Mancunian passed away in February uh, in 2012. Davy Jones from the Monkees. Probably one of the first Manchester guys that I ever knew from pop music. So, now just to put Manchester, as Jim said, into context, 
in the late in the late eighties, you know, Joy Division became New Orders, Smiths are there, the fall. Then there's a musical and cultural scene that's called Madchester. And that merges 60s psychedelic rock and roll with, you know, the acid house music of the with time. With ecstasy, right? right? <laughs> they're all off their tits on ecstasy and they're listening they also to local- have a, They have a weird thing in the north called uh, Northern Funk, where white northern people in the north of England like disco. Yeah. Right. And they're just into, it's nowhere else in England, but in Manchester and Liverpool, there's like old people that like, fucking get dressed for the disco. And it's anyway, dope. So-, <laughs> so they're on there. That was a lot of the basis of the music. Northern Soul. The Northern Soul. It's called Northern yeah, Soul. Northern Soul. They go went back to 60s and stuff that a lot of Americans even missed. Once again, it's the same Liverpool thing where they got all the records that people weren't getting because of the sailors. So we have the bands, local bands like Stone Roses, Happy Mondays, James, in Spiral Carpets. They're the kind of bands that are local heroes. So around that time, Paul Gwigsey McGuigan starts a band called The Rain with Paul Bonehead Arthurs on guitar, Tony McCarroll on drums, and a vocalist they soon fire and they replace with Gwigsey's school friend, Liam Gallagher, who suggests they change their name to Oasis. Now, Liam's older brother, Noel, is a roadie for In Spiral Carpets. He comes with the band to see Oasis's first show in 91. They're not great, but Noel sees that they have, you know, he has a bunch of songs he's written on the road and he sees a band he could basically take over as a songwriter and the guitarist. So joins the band, you know, they, they play, they build a following, they get signed to Alan McGee's creation labels in 93. They put out several popular singles. Then their debut album definitely maybe comes out. It's number one a week after its release at the time. It becomes the fastest selling debut album in the UK. Huge. They do really the fastest one. I that's when I heard I, about it. And I, I, you know, you guys are going to hate me because I, I, the only song I really know off of that record is Live Forever. Get is the that, fuck uh, no. You don't know supersonic yeah. cigarettes and alcohol. Rock and roll star. He tells you right there. He literally star. says, oh, oh, no, I know oh, that yeah. one. No, I know that he one. He literally the says, I'm going to be a rock and roll star. Yeah, the balls to come out with their first track is "Rock and Roll Star." If yeah. you're not down with "Who yeah. I Am," like get the fuck out of there. That yeah. should have been the, the first track on the second album, not on the yeah. first album. Yeah, yeah. So they so they come out with this album, and by the way, when they first came out, like you guys, I was like, they sound like the Beatles, and I was like, well, if you're gonna rip off the Beatles, don't rip off John's melodies and Paul's lyrics, and that's how I sort of looked at Oasis. I was like. You know, like that's probably not the right combination. So anyway, they play a bunch, years of constant touring, lots of drugs, partying, band fights, temporary breakups, uh, mostly between Liam and, and Noel. They're back in the studio to make their second album. So they record one singer, they, one single, they fire Tony McCarroll, they replace him with Alan White. And then um, he decides, Noel's like, I want to make a darker record. I want to make something with, an- you know, anthems. I want this to be huge. You know, everything. So according to Owen Morris, check out this, check out this. In 15 days, they record this record. The first five consecutive days, a song a day. Here's their first five days for this record. Roll with it. Hello. Wonderwall. Don't look back in anger. Champagne Supernova. They take two days off, come back and record the rest of the record in consecutive days. That's a 15 days of recording. So, uh, So it's about the same time. At the same time, there's this other huge cultural musical scene called Britpop. It's all starting up and Oasis isn't really part of this, but because of their popularity, they kind of get grabbed into it. How we, how are they not Britpop? They're not Britpop like, because how, they come from a different, they're, they're, they're British and they're pop because they, it, there's a, you know, at the time there's different layers. You'll see, I'll explain it a little bit later, but they okay. basically, yeah, they basically get into it with blur, but this is, this is what the press 
concocts a lot of this, like the Rolling Stones and the Beatles. It's a lot of bullshit, but they kind of run with it. So here we go. This record comes out. It gets lukewarm critical acclaim. You know, they think it's a letdown after definitely maybe. Um, It still sold 347,000 copies in its first week. It didn't leave the top three for seven months. And until Adele's 21 came out, it had the highest number of platinum certificates for for a single record at 14. So it's huge. Knowles' anthemic aspirations pay off. They become a stadium arena band, but they have, you know, near constant controversy, plagiarism lawsuits, quarrels, flagrant substance abuse, everything. They go on, they put another five albums. They do a tour for each album, a few lineup changes. Then in 2009, Liam claims he has laryngitis, so they're going to cancel the festival show. Noel goes to the press and goes, nah, he doesn't. He's hungover. Liam gets pissed. He sues Noel. They basically settle out of court. This is, this is brothers, by the way, in the same band. They settle out of court, but Noel's pissed. He quits the band. So the rest of the band with Liam go on and they become basically BDI. That's Oasis without Noel. They carry on as BDI. They have a couple good tracks. BDI has that the opener of their their first record. I fucking forget what that shit is called, but that shit slaps, the dude. Four letter word or yeah. something. It's there was still, yeah. Dude, dude, it sounds like it sounds like a James Bond song. That first song, yeah. So both brother both brothers carry on. You know they put out side projects, but they haven't played together since two thousand nine. Since that time, so the demand. By the way, so the demand for the new music for them is so huge still. They just, in April of last year, 2020, they rediscovered a sound check demo of like one song. First song they released in 10 years, like a day later, a couple days later, it hits a million views on YouTube. So that's how wanted Oasis still is. So it was a shit track. Oh, that one that Noel just sort of went, I've got another It's the only thing, you you know, it's the only game in town. They've, They've still hugely influential. At their peak, around this time, around this album, at their peak, there was an audio recording of the two of them having an argument, and it got. I'll get to that. I'll give you the exact. I'll tell. You. There you go. Wibbling rivalry. <laughs> yeah. You have it you <laughs> with the Cray. It. It's the Cray brothers on the cover, right? I, I was find the the, the, the the Cray brother when I was living in London. The Cray brothers, like, it, there's a pub where one of the Crays shot somebody, and that pub would have to seat five thousand people for all the people that I've met who said that they were there. To actually see the Cray brothers, <laughs> everyone allegedly was in this but But I, I had a, a real Cockney comedian friend, and it was like a thing. We walked out of the comedy store; it was raining, and he goes, "Oh, this wouldn't happen if the twins were still around." Like <laughs> they, they kept law and order. They did. So basically, so to end this up, they've still remained hugely influential. There, they've sold seventy-five million records. This record alone has sold twenty-two million records. So that's where we are. So wow. that's caught us up to where we are now. No, this is, I, here's my deal with, with Oasis. I, you know, cause like you, somebody mentioned earlier, uh, you know, as the albums came out after this, they were not nearly as good. And, and like you said, if they would have just done these two records and then broken up, I think they would be put on the same pedestal as the Beatles and the mm. Rolling Stones and Radiohead. No, I do. I, I just, no. I, I like, like the other albums, man. I like them. I, it, it, became, it did become unfashionable to be an Oasis fan for a while. Yeah. People were just yes. sort of, it became unfashionable. But the fucking songs don't lie, man. They're, they're, they're great. They're great. They're great songs. Like Jim said, though, like you you would listen to Morning Glory, right? But here's the you thing. So you, you'd be props, a rabbit fan. Steve, you have so many I'd go. I'm the carrot top of Oasis today. But I would go to Virgin Megastore and you go, you get your role with it, right? 
And then all of a sudden you hear it's better people, rock and chair. And you go to get some might say it's talk tonight, acquiesce, which Jim mentioned before, head shrinker. You go to Wonderwall. You got Round Our Way, Swamp Song. The master plan is the B-side to Wonderwall. This is crazy. And then Don't Look Back in Anger. You got uh, Come On, Feel the Noise, Step Out, and Underneath the Sky. And all these songs came to make um, the master plan, that B-side track album. And in interviews I've read about Noel, Noel's like, all his friends were like, why don't you save this for like the next hour? That, if, if these tracks, if the master plan came out and was their third album, instead of Be Here Now, I think they would have sustained some longevity because these these tunes I, I, on that master plan, I think are as good as anything you hear on Morning Glory because I love master plan. It's one of my favorite songs yeah. by them. Do you guys do you guys fuck with uh, their solo projects? Do you guys fuck with BDI? I, I, and I, then, I buy all uh, of it. Yeah. Yeah, buy all of it. All of it, yeah. Is it, is it, is it and, and be honest, is it just as May, good May and, or is May it you Steve, just holding on to that Oasis love? Me and Steve have a very thin relationship, right? Steve texts me <laughs> about once every three months like, there's a new song. And I go, I'm on it. <laughs> we don't talk about anything else. Uh, I love it, dude. Yeah, I, I, it, it's funny because uh, I, I rarely hung out with Jim, but it's one of once I found out he was an Oasis fan, I was like, oh, I want to hang out more. And then we're at the jam, we're hanging out. And un- unfortunately, I couldn't just indulge. And Josh, you know how I like to, uh, I, I appreciate indulging in the spirits. And um, oh, yeah, it's been dude. the one thing where the last time we hung out, it's like, yeah, you got you to gotta hit me up. We'll, we'll, we'll get some drinks, listen to tunes. I'm like, yeah. And then I moved to Nashville. And I'm like, damn it. I, you know, even, even in talking now, I'm like, it makes me want to just get in the car and go, where are you? I, I'll bring <laughs> over all my stuff. We'll throw it in yeah, a CD yeah. player. Let's, I'll bring over some Jameson and rip oh, it up. Yeah. God. Dude, that is so funny. <laughs> that is so fucking funny. Cause I thought you guys were like just best mates because, cause Steve, when I posted the show, oh, I only found out he had a wife and kids the last time I met him. We, we spoke. <laughs> <laughs> Because out of nowhere, out of nowhere, Steve just hits me up. He goes, "Hey man, he goes, uh, do you, I'm gonna get Jim? Can we do Wonderwall on the on the virtual jam?" And I was like, "Of course!" And I had no, I thought you guys just texted all the time, and you're always. I know we Oasis, we Oasis chat. Oasis chat sounds like a right wing fucking platform. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> when they all when they all got kicked off Twitter, they go to yeah. Oasis and they chat about doing uh, on. We gotta protect this. We gotta protect the statue. <laughs> I love it. That's what. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right, let's let's dive into the record because like you guys said, man, this this is a legendary record and this is damn near perfect. So it opens with hello. Uh, JT, play the opening or play the best part, in my opinion. We live in the shadows and we had the 
Gary Glitter, this is the first time I've found this guy. Did you know this the Gary Glitter thing, Steve? I never knew that. Yeah, well Gary Glitter had that um that song na 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 Hey and they would play that every time Yeah, every time the Pittsburgh Penguins would score a goal, they would play that song and then and then we all learned, oh he molests children. Maybe we that shouldn't was, play this that the anymore. That guy was a pedophile in Britain for years, and we all used to mock Americans when we watched basketball. Dun, 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 dun. Hey, bum, bum, dun, dun. and you <laughs> yeah. guys will be clapping. We go. He's probably he was in jail for about four years, and you guys were still fucking rocking out that at every fucking gym, at every sporting event, and we were like. <laughs> Well, Pittsburgh, it came out, it came out, and then we gave it another year. Which <laughs> and they still put it. They still put it in the movie The Joker. They still put that song when, he, when he's, when he's oh, on the stairs. Yeah, People right, were like, yeah. yeah, that's kind of like a pedophile when he's on the stairs. And, and like, it took a while. <laughs> but, yeah, Gary Glitter, he had a whole lot of child pornography on his phone. And then he, anyone who's got child pornography on their, on their, on their, on their laptop, this, this is my advice. If you get a virus... Don't take it down to PC World to get it cleaned out. That's how he got caught. No one suspected it from him. He took his computer in for repair, and they went, our computer's all fixed. You're going to jail. (laughs) We got good news and bad news. I think this is a great opener. I think this kind of gives you a little bit of, like, idea of the way the album is going to go. For many years, they sang this song when they started the concerts. They they would start the concert with Willow, yeah. They did open with this. Yeah. Oh wow! I've never seen them live, and that's one of the things that, like, I really. And it sounds like it sounds like a song that's a perfect bridge to go from definitely maybe to Morning Glory. You know, it, it, it still has that. It's still like a real rocking song, and you could see that on Definitely Maybe. I think if you go back and listen to Definitely Maybe all the way through, it's a nice bridge to get into. I this. also think it's a nice bridge in to roll with it. Do you know what I mean? I feel like it yeah. sets up. I think, first of all, the intro is a bunch of noises. Then the song kicks in. And then almost as this fades out, it goes right into that guitar riff from Roll With It. Morty, go ahead and tell us a little bit about Roll With It. Okay, okay. So this is the interesting part. This is where the Britpop thing comes out. In August of 95. This is a big competition, wasn't it? August of 95, they have this Britpop chart battle, okay? Turns out Blur is going to put out their first single. Oasis is going to put out their first single. And... The, the British press goes crazy and the public eats it up that. So, so for those that don't know, Oasis is from the North. So that's considered working class. That's a kind of like working class. Then blurs from the South, that's considered middle class. So they have not only like band struggle and pop struggle. Now it's like an actual class struggle. You know, you have these people fighting. So they go up against it. Who's going to put it out. People are taking bets. It's that big blur wins with country house. And then, but Oasis goes on, has bigger success in the U.S. because Wonderwall and Don't Look Back in Anger, everything else that comes out. About this song, uh, Noel basically slags it. He goes, it's a typical Oasis song. Shut up moaning and fucking get on with it. It's the same sentiment as in nearly every other song I do. <laughs> you know, not a really deep. Wrong yeah. with it's not as good as uh, Blue's Country House. Country House is a pretty fucking good song. Yeah, man. it's like the Kings. And Wrong yeah. yeah. with it is a weaker Oasis song. But I love how you it. just said yeah. that thing. You've just bought into the whole British fucking class system. They go, they go. The people in the north are working class, and the people in the south are middle class. Where's your fucking upper class, England? Where's your upper class? You're so humble no. that you want to go. Oh, I'm just middle class. No, you're fucking stinking fucking rich cunt. Stop saying you're middle class. You're upper class. I've never met one British person who says, "Oh, I'm upper class." No, no, no. They're always poor or middle. No one's above the middle. 
why why did Blur and Oasis have such beef? Was it just they were both rising the, the bands? Public, I just remember the public there was, made that beef happen. They actually get along fairly well. And then, like, obviously, Noel in interviews would slag their albums off and all that type of stuff. But for the most part, I think they get along now very well. Yeah, Noel's cut some tracks with Damon Alburn from the. I think he's done two songs with Damon Alburn. But I think I think they kind of got into it too. Because I remember Noel said about the guitarist, I hope he catches AIDS and dies. It's like that was... Richard, not Richard Ashcroft. What's his name? I bought some of his albums. Which one? Solo ones. Um, no, no, not Richard Ashcroft. He's, he's the Verve. Um, who's the guitarist from Blue? What Damon, from, Damon from, Albarn? From no, which no, Damon's the lead singer. The guitarist from the oh, um, from Blue. Oh, Graham Coxon. Graham Coxon, yeah. That's, Graham Coxon, yeah. that's it, yeah. Anyway, we that's hope so- he gets AIDS. If you're listening, Graham... How's that going for you? Alex James, Alex James is the one, the bass player is the one they had a lot of, is the one that sort of, they had sort of beef with too. But, you know, I mean, it's, listen, it's the Rolling Stones and the Beatles. You know how many records they sold with people buying records just to kind of say, I like them more than the other because band? It, yeah. You know, I don't care if you buy them to burn them, yeah. just buy them. But even the the Rolling Stones and the Beatles, that was that was a weird thing because they said that the Rolling Stones were like the sex and the drugs and all that stuff. And because the Beatles were wearing suits and the Rolling Stones, the, the Rolling Stones were posh kids. Yeah. They grew up in a very wealthy part of the, the South. The Beatles were the working class band, but they put them in suits and they made them look fancy. Yeah. And the narrative mm-hmm. that was put into society was that they, they were stuffy and the Rolling Stones were rock and roll, which wasn't the case at all. Of course. I want to ask you guys a question because we're talking about rivalries and both of you guys have been doing stand up for what, you know, 20 years at least. I, I, remember- I hate Dimitri Martin. Okay, that that was yours. That was no, yours. No, I, have you had? I have a lot of respect for him. Too much respect, actually. No, no, a lot, a lot of a lot of people have rivalries with me, but I don't have one with them. I'm just too good. <laughs> <laughs> it's so great, dude. That is so fucking great. All right, let's get on to the fucking hit then. Let's get on to the one which is arguably one of the most recognizable guitar riffs and fucking opening lines ever. Buskers uh, everywhere made money. It, was, it, it only got to number two. It's a little known fact. It only got to number two in Britain. And they thought- Wait, it, Wonderwall? Wonderwall, it's, it's the most famous number two of all time. I can't even tell you which was number one. There was probably some dance track. I was like, oh, I'm sure Morty has more information. Morty, I'll, I'll, find, I'll, I'll tell you in a second. I'll tell you in a second. All right, here, play the, play, play the intro for us. I just wanted to hear it, how, Jim. I'm how, sorry. How it's, have you gotten it's, this far into the podcast and you don't know fucking Wonderwall? <laughs> Someone's going, I'll just tune in. Maybe I'll learn something. I just, I just want to play it because it's such a fucking iconic thing. dude. You, Everything about that opening is is just, it's fantastic. I love when the beat kicks in. I love the fan brushes. Uh, I, I love the lyrics. But you also have to remember, it came out when people watched MTV still. And that video was pretty great. It was such a trippy, black and white, great visuals, kind of mod visuals with Liam in a barber's chair and, you know, this this spiral spinning wheel behind him. It just, it, it looked great. It looked cool. They looked cool. And and, and he, Noel had his green guitar. That was the only thing in color in the whole video. Um, 
I don't. I think I think it was a perfect marriage of one of those few times where the video was aesthetically as pleasing as as the as the um, as the sound of the song. And also, let's not let's not forget that this for many people were their first sight of Oasis. They yeah, heard the songs or whatever. The other videos sucked. Yeah, right. Supersonic was a terrible video. Live Forever Horrible. was a weird. Yeah. But but when you watch that video, it, I. Look, I haven't been a teenage girl for the longest time, but <laughs> Liam's Liam's very, very fucking good looking. He's really good looking, and you don't know it. It's like it's like that Elvis thing. People had heard Elvis's voice, and then they saw the videos, and they were like, "Fuck me, he's stunning." But but with Liam, it's like he is a fucking good looking boy, man. It's like people forget that it wasn't just the voice. He was a he was a real front man. To be a front man, I don't think any time in music history has this ever happened. A person is that captivating and they don't fucking move. Yeah. They don't move. He just stands there with his hands behind his back, with his head tilted up singing, doesn't move, and he is captivating. You can't take your eyes off him and he's doing nothing. And that's a really rare quality. And he's got a thick unibrow. Oh, I love Which, the I love the yeah. monobrow. <laughs> so by the way, the number one song, everybody get ready to sing this at a pub. It's I Believe by Robson and Jerome. Because, you know, as one does, they get drunk and sing this at all their big football games. I Believe. What is I Believe yeah. by Robson and Jerome? I believe that someone in the great somewhere I think Robson and Jermaine, if I'm not correct, there used to be a TV show called Heartbeat, which had a couple of actors, which Simon Cowell gave, like, uh, Unchained Melody too, and a couple of other pop songs because of all the housewives bought it. I think Robson right and time. Jamone were two actors off this, this, well, this yeah, TV it about, show. It was about the right yeah. time. It's number one. It's number one, Jesus. That's what it is. It's it number one. That sounds better. like Jerry and the Pacemakers. Look at these guys too. Can you see them? Oh, my. These are fucking yeah. hand yeah, jobs. That's, yeah. that, that, that's, that's like when, uh, when, when Shakespeare in Love beat Fucking yeah. pop fiction yes. at the Oscars. That's what That's you need awful. to fucking know. Yeah, dude, this, it, it's more important. By the way, yeah. it actually, Shakespeare in Love beat Saving Private Ryan. Forrest Gump beat Pulp Fiction. Jesus Christ. Oh, that's yeah, even dude. worse. One of the greatest <laughs> war movies of all time. Um, yeah, I'd never heard of Robson and Jerome, and that song sounds like fucking dick, so they can go fuck themselves. Yeah, there are a couple of actors who Simon Cowell used to They look like they fuck them. each other. I mean, look at these guys, dude. <laughs> they did. That was their third single, wasn't we it? Look, <laughs> we look like we fuck each other. Put it in my butt. More, do you got any facts or anything about this song? Sure, let's talk about this one. This is the fourth single from the record. It's uh, inspired, if those of you know your Beatles lore, George Harrison did a did a soundtrack to a movie called Wonderwall. So the record was called Wonderwall Music. They just took the title because it sounded interesting. Prior to that, the name was actually Wishing Stone. That was the demo name of this song. You're my wishing stone. That one probably still would have been huge, right? Yeah, In I don't 96, think so, dude. I, I mean, would you guys be all fucking bona fide for this song? If it was I heard it was Wishing supposed stone? to be called Robson and Jerome, but then he changed it to Wishing Stone, then Wonderwall. <laughs> <Yeah>. So. <laughs> You're my Robson and Jerome. <laughs> Next time you guys do that live. In 96, actually, Noel said he wrote this about his future wife, Meg Matthews. Then in 2001, he was basically, he got divorced and he's like, no, nah, no, nah, I didn't. I just can't. Just <laughs> That's say great. That. <laughs> you, know, you cannot. Late, um, by the way, if you guys, any, any newer, younger people are like, I think Green Day, it sounds like Boulevard of Broken Dreams. You know, that big Green Day song. So basically, yeah. Noel said the same thing. He's like, 
This is him talking to Green Day. He's like, they should have the decency to wait until I'm dead before stealing my shit. I at least pay the people I steal from as a courtesy. Well, I do know this. I do know wow. when they did this single cover, okay? Um, <laughs> Noel showed up late to it, and they were going to hold this frame up, and Liam was supposed to stand in the picture frame. And Noel showed up, I guess hung over. He said, you're not putting the lead singer on the cover. Pretty, put a pretty girl in there. So they got a girl, I guess they got a girl last minute, and she's the one that ended up being on the cover of the single. I how much shit do you have laying around right now for show and tell, dude? You are you are incredible, Steve. This is just in his Nashville house. You don't want to see what his LA house looks you like. like cut out but if you want to bridge into the next one, that's uh Don't Look Back in Anger single. And they did this in homage. So they they put um flowers all over the the, the instruments. And it, it, it's an homage to an old uh, Ringo Starr, Ringo Starr uh, story where Ringo felt uh, he wasn't being appreciated in the Beatles. And they said, come back to the studio, come back to the studio. And they had some flowers all around there. So then they, Oasis paid tribute to, to that story by doing that and putting all the carnations around the, uh, around the uh, instruments for the band. So, so... I, I think you guys probably agree with me. This song transcends race, color, and creed. I mean, everybody knows this song. Uh, it's arguably, I mean, if not the most important song of the 90s. I don't think what anything that, that blows my mind, this only came in at number two. And both of you guys have sang this multiple times on the goddamn Comedy Jam. So I want to ask you guys, why is this song so important to y'all? It's not It's not even, it, it's about my 50 favorite Oasis song, really. I'm not even that into it. It's just an easy oh, sing. Okay. <laughs> but, but I think, I think like, like I don't, I don't know why it resonates with so many people. I think because it sort of means nothing. You can interpret your own life into it very easily. We're saying you're my wonder wall, and all the roads we have to walk are winding, and all the lights that lead us there are blinding. And you can sort of like say, yeah, that's sort of like my life. But it really, yeah, I don't know. I, I. I... I think it's just one of those songs, the minute you hear it, especially in a pub, I mean, you go back to in time where you're a pub in the 90s, and even now sometimes I'll just hijack hijack these new touchstone jukeboxes, and I'll drop a 20 in there, and I'll just jam Oasis, and that's the song that comes on, and people, people just start singing it, it's complete strangers. It, it, for a while, it, it's kind of like a, a don't stop believing for a new generation, I think. No, uh, completely. Oh, completely. Yeah, it's definitely a few beers deep, and you're you just like you grab your buddy, you put your arm around him. It's it's it just it creates a mood. It's it's. I think the best versions of the song is is uh, Noel just singing it acoustically in concert. I think it's much better than the electric guitar. All right, let's move on to "Don't Look Back in Anger" because this is you know what's funny about this one. I still can remember the exact moment I heard the song for the first time. I was at Express <laughs> for Men in Lake Forest Mall, and they were playing the fucking music video in the background, dude. Express, what's Express for Men? It's like you know, it's where you go. It's where you go when you shop for figure skating attire for men. In Australia, we call it stretchy, skin-tight men. Oh, it, it, it's like you're wearing, like, you know, business casual, but yeah. cool and somewhat hip. It's it's mall clothing. Sure. It's mall clothing. And everybody knows it's what the clothing. fuck I mean by mall clothing. Please don't put your life in the hands of a rock and roll band. We'll throw it all away. I'm gonna start a revolution from my back. Well, this is the song that makes 
made me reluctant to be a fan of the race. So they had that girl and she's like, listen to this song, listen to this song. And then the opening is Imagine. And I was like, oh, they're ripping off the Beatles. It's not the fucking And then it's like, nah, this song's good, man. It's the first song when Noel sings. And every album after that, he sings a song or two. And I always, I always look out for the Noel tracks. I always go, because oh, I feel like the Noel tracks are the ones that he, he is most proud of. The other ones are a bit more heavy rock that he doesn't think that he can quite sing. And I think the Noel tracks are the ones that he really thinks he digs this song. When I, when I asked him about this song, here we go, I'm name dropping again to the actual person we're talking about. But he, he goes, uh, he goes, I, he goes, it was about a girl called Sally. <laughs> And she wouldn't wait, man. She just kept on fucking walking on by. <laughs> he goes, she just kept on walking by. And I was like, ah, oh, don't worry about it. You know, fucking. And I'm yeah. like, okay, okay. So it literally means what you're saying. So here's, here's, here's the, 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 the Lennon thing is on purpose, obviously imagine, but also some of the lyrics are nicked from Lennon's diaries. Some of the stuff that he said that he pulled from this also. Please don't put your life in the hands of a rock and roll band. Going to start a revolution in my bed. Yeah, that's a full beat. That's a full John Lennon. To this day, I I went to see them. um, uh, I I think it was the Heathen Chemistry uh, tour, and they were performing at the venue. I forget what it's called, but it's it's right next to where they taped Letterman and Colbert. It's that rock venue right there in the 50s on the the west side of New York City. And I I was with my girlfriend at the time. We, We went, and... To this day, of all the concerts I've ever been to, that was the one where I was like, oh, my God. Like, it, it felt like the roof was going to go off. Noel singing Don't Look Back in Anger. Everybody's got arms around strangers. People are screaming at the top of their lungs. And and then they went right from that into my generation at the encore and said goodnight. And back to back, those songs, I've never seen a place go that fucking bananas over a song, especially Don't Look Back in Anger. To this day, I, you know, even when I, I've, I've gone to concerts since and I've even seen Noel uh, do a solo stuff, he'll, he'll put this in in the encore and nothing's come close to that, that moment in time that I saw it. Yeah, he still, he still puts it in the encore and now he finishes with uh, All You Need Is Love, which is a bit more communal a song, you know what I mean, than my generation. But I, I it's, it's a very, it's a very, like, so after... Ariana Grande and the bombing of the concerts. The people in Manchester took this song on as an anthem for people getting over grief or whatever. And the lyrics don't really say that. The only time you could ever see Liam sing it is at that concert where they did for Manchester after the Ariana Grande bombing. And it's very clear that Liam can't sing the chorus because he'd be like, go and start a revolution from <laughs> Okay. Now, I, I think you know the words. Oh, he does what it and does, yeah. And so he couldn't do that bit. So he's just like, all right, back in. I think this is, I think this though is a better song than Wonderwall. Yeah. It's it's just, I mean, Wonderwall is like, it's, it's, I love it. Like I said, it's iconic. Great film clip for this one as well. This was another good film clip. Just had hot chicks around a pool and like (laughs) fucking Liam just looking through a spyglass for no, very Beatlesque type of, in an old English manor type of place. It was really good. But here's the, here's the thing that, that really pissed me off. I live in Pasadena. The last like five or six years, I'm in I'm in California. I moved to Nashville, and I'm I'm just going down this oasis rabbit hole. And I'm like, where was that mansion? You know. So I look it up. They filmed it in Pasadena. That mansion was in Pasadena. Yeah. 
Yeah, you can you can Google it. No. And it just went for sale for like for like two or three million dollars. No, it always looks all right. Let's get into uh hey now. Uh in my opinion, this is this is you know, I honestly feel that this moment might be the best moment on the record. Hey, this is Dewey Halpas, host of Peer Pleasure on the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Join me each week as I explore another long form conversation with one of your favorite musicians, actors, comedians, or creatives. From Chino Moreno of the Deftones, John Gorley of Portugal, the man, to Fat Mike from No Effects, and Ian Mackay from Fugazi and Minor Threat, we go all over the map. From Fallout Boy to Slayer, Peer Pleasure has it all. Check us out now on Sound Talent Media. Uh, JT, play 59 seconds. Love this song. This is what I love about this record is that. A hey, quick, quick question: Are people watching this online, or are they just listening to it? Uh, we do, we do, uh, we do uh, video on YouTube, but it's like it's most of the people I think are actually just listening to it. Okay, okay, just funny. Okay, carry on. I just, I just don't know if I can stop. No, do it. Time. No, please. We can Why stop now. This song's a time capsule. Yeah, I, I, that song is. It, it, it's, it's the more trippy one. It, it's kind of like a Beatles for sale. You could see it on that album. Uh, or, or I, I really like that song, and it, yeah, I think I agree with you. Though it, it's a pretty underrated song in their library of, of tracks, for sure. Very underrated. Very yeah. underrated. It's very psychedelic. Uh, it's it's just like you were talking about how songs that you don't skip over. I mean, they're really there's like I'm, I'm going to skip over like like Swamp Song yeah. and then the other Swamp Song Part Two, but but it's like it's funny when you really you hear these hits and then you listen to the other tracks on this record i honestly think that the other tracks on this record shine a little bit brighter than the big hits what do you guys think uh we're about to head into one of my favorite songs some might say and that was still a big hit in britain and i think and noel says that some might say he says if you wanted to put like oasis into four minutes that's the song he says that's one that represents the band completely Do you have anything about this one, Morty, about Some Might Say? Some Might Say, yeah. It's their, this is their first UK number one. This became their first UK number one. It's a lead single, and they made the video for this with footage from old footage <laughs> that they had because, obviously, shocker, as Steve said, Liam didn't show up to the video shoot. Now the, so they cut this one together. The Part of the reason with Some Might Say went to number one was also timing. At that stage, Tony Blair was just about to be voted in as the Prime Minister, and they'd gone through a long history in the UK of the Tories being in charge. Now the Labour Party was about to be in charge, and they were about to... And Oasis was backing that band. Um, and, and so that song became like the anthem of the election that was happening, of a new era coming in. And the era in Britain they called uh, uh, Cool Britannia, right, where everyone was cool and you had a handsome, young prime minister. And all that stuff. Now, after that, 
of course, the Iraq war happened and then he sort of sided with George Bush and he was a little bit tainted after that. But at that stage, there was a feeling in the UK that anything could happen and that uh, there was a new dawn coming. And I think this song sort of held all that in. Let me ask you this, everyone, Jim, because you, you were in, were you in uh, England when this came out? I was, I was maybe a, uh, no, 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 not when this came out. I moved out of England four years uh, later. Okay. But I was, I, I was I was there for heathen chemistry onwards, living in Britain. <laughs> were 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 the British obsessed with them? By the, I mean, still at that point, or is it more just tabloid fire? Well, we were when 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 we went to concerts and stuff like that. There was still they were still doing great big sort of open air arena y type of gigs. That ones that I saw them at, you know. And then you know, I remember being I was in Chicago doing a gig. And the band had broken up and BDI had started. And I went and saw them in Chicago after my gig. They were, you know, headlining at 10 p.m. or something like that. There was about 200 people there. And BDI could still sell out thousands and thousands of tickets, you know. So they were still much bigger in the U.K. And the love for them, I feel like people still had where in America, whenever I came over here, it was still like, oh, yeah, Wonderwall. And you're like, no, 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 have you heard the new bit? You know, I, I think like Stop Crying Your Heart Out is one of the best ballads they ever did. I think that Hindu Times was an amazing uh, rock and roll song, like a really good sort of trippy bit of rock and roll, you know. So there were still tracks that, but I did remember getting to, into an argument with a comedian. We were having a car ride and they were, and she was like, oh, Oasis suck now. And I was like, oh, you know, there's still a couple of songs. There's still, a, you know, and I fought for them too much and then the car journey had three hours left, and it was very icy from then on in. Oh, but but you were talking about Swamp Song. Swamp Song is a complete ripoff of Spirit in the Sky. If you listen to the guitar chords, it's a, it's it's like beat for beat. You're like, ah, oh, this is total blatant. But some might say epitomizes what makes Noel and definitely maybe great is you get this great guitar lick, and it will go. The end of the song will go for another two and a half minutes, and you just get in this trance-like state. Like supersonic is great because it's just that now, 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 just oh. And and some would say it's the same thing. And it was the first time where I heard Noel and Liam kind of going back and forth with the chorus uh, throughout that song. And that that to me at that time, before I heard Acquiesce, was uh, was my favorite track because I it was. Again, the, the the melody was hypnotic, but just hearing the two brothers complement one another on that track specifically, I, I, I loved. That's the thing that's the thing I still miss the most because when you see them both in concert, they both do Oasis songs now in concert. Yeah. But hearing them sing together is what I miss the most from Oasis. Because you know, you can still hear the song. The, the people playing the guitars, the people playing the drums are still as good music, musicians as they had in Oasis and sometimes the same fucking people, you know, but to, to, you know, just like things like on, um, stand by me, it's just the little harmony that he did over the way it's going to be. I felt a bit, you know, I missed that. And they always get like a guitarist to sort of do it, but that doesn't quite sound right. No, no, no. It's, it's funny. Cause some might say, I, I honestly think is like, is probably one of the better songs on this record. And it's because of everything you're talking about. And also, about. it's a great slogan, some might say. It's like, you know what people <laughs> are up to. You know, you know what they say. It's a very ambiguous thing that means nothing and everything at the same well, time. Well, I feel like all of their songs are like that. I mean, Morty, we were talking prior to the show. Uh, it's like, th- this. There's they're not... 
it's almost what you said about Wonderwall. It could be this, it could be that. It could you can if you could if you're dealing with struggle in your life, you can you can identify with the song then if you're in a good mood. It's just it's like everything is nothing. It's just like a bunch of gobbledygook. Uh, Oasis are like going to a fortune teller and believing the reading. You know, there's a level of there's a level of trite to their lyrics. I mean, it's 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 both incredibly trite and incredibly encompassing because it's like, you know, it's like when when you're going through a breakup and somebody gives you advice and it's always the same shit. Oh, you'll get over and you'll get it's just a, it's it reaches everyone. Because it just sounds right. Like I was saying, the Paul McCartney lyric thing versus the the John Melody thing. Paul's lyrics are incredible because when you break them down, it means shit. I mean, not to be a dick, he's my greatest guy of all time, but listen to Yesterday. It's not the deepest fucking song in the world, but Yesterday is Wonderwall. You know what I mean? The idea that Paul McCartney put the word maybe in the lyric, maybe I'm amazed. <laughs> <laughs> like, like your wife's like, your wife's like this, like, maybe I'm amazed. Are you amazed or not, Paul? What's, what's well, it's funny the, about the title, the even maybe? the title. Sorry, another prop there for you, Josh. But what's the story, Morning Glory? I, I heard that when Noel was, when they were touring in the States, um, some girl kept saying, what's the story, Morning Glory, to Noel? And he thought everybody in America had said that. So when it came out, people were like, why would you call it what's the story, Morning Glory? And, and he's like, oh, don't people in the state say that all the time? They're like, no, nobody says that. And he's like, oh, shit. <laughs> oh, I always thought Morning Glory was like when you woke up with an erection, right? I thought it was that in Opium, Opium Poppies, Morning Glory. <laughs> I thought that was that. But also it's the song from Bye Bye Birdie for any of my other music musical geeks out there it's one of the song with in like Ooh. it's the 60s and they're calling each other on the phone what's the story morning glory it's like shit your mom would say you know what's up succotash well josh josh lost like. his josh you lost your virginity that song didn't you no to uh, the bye bye birdie song yeah to, to what's the story morning glory or to yeah, yeah. my friend <laughs> but of course 100 yeah. yeah followed by a hello dolly uh yeah dude my my mother used to say in the morning when she woke me up wakey wakey hands off snakey which was another <laughs> lyric that they wanted to use hands the, off original, snakey. the original album was going to be called wakey wakey hands off snakey <laughs> 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 I fucking love that, dude. That is the funniest shit, dude. All right, cast no shadow. Okay, so break us down. So Noel writes us about Richard Ashcroft. We were talking about him earlier. He's a singer in a band called The Verve. He plays it for he plays it for Richard. Richard starts crying, and according to Noel, he says, you know, he always seemed to me to not be to not be very happy. And he wrote this lovely song for me. He said he always seemed to me to not be very happy what was going on around him and almost trying too hard. So uh, the album's producer Owen Morris had just produced The Verve's uh, album Northern Soul because Noel Unreal. great yeah. record. Yeah. Great Noel got record. Noel got Owen to produce the record, and the title track from that album was dedicated to Noel. So it was sort of like a recompense for it. Dude, The Verve is one of the yeah. most underrated bands to come out of the Britpop scene. I, like America only knows them as Bittersweet Symphony, and 
every album that they have done is damn near perfect. Richard Ashcroft oh, yeah, solo shit, a, a song for the lovers, uh, brand brand new. Uh, no, I think brand new world was the album title, but but it's like I saw him live at um the 930 club i remember it was funny because i was dating this girl and i got her listening to his first solo record then we broke up and then she out of nowhere was like hey i got his tickets to richard ashcroft she's like do you want to go with me i was like yeah of course we go the, the show is incredible it's just richard in a fur coat just acoustic oh, wow. guitar played everything from the verb played all his solo shit uh and then uh we get back home and i feel so bad about this i always remember this is that we get to my apartment and she's like so can i come in and i'm just like yeah i'm pretty tired i'm just gonna go to bed and she was fully expecting to fuck and i can't believe i'm sorry kitty peters i'm sorry why did, why did you turn down kitty peters i don't know man i just you know dude i was I would have sex with her on the name alone, Kitty Peters. She sounds like a fun wakey, lass. Wakey. Dude, it's, it's, I regret it. I really regret it. But I, I fucking love the bourbon. Pussy Pete. That's an Kitty Ian Peters. Fleming name. Yeah, that's right. It's definitely a Bond. Yeah, definitely a Bond character. That's an Ian Fleming. Pussy Peters. Um, so I right, thoughts on this song and then, and also thoughts on the verb. I know you guys were like kind of agreeing with me. Like, yeah, I think, uh, I think that's, that was the, the, again, that was kind of the fun of, of Oasis and reading about them and reading all the magazines is, is like seeing who they would anoint as cool. Like who's in the cool club and hearing all the stuff about Ashcroft and then going down and getting urban hymns. And that's another album you can listen from A to Z, every single song, every yeah. single track. Yeah. I mean, the drugs don't work is one of my, favorite songs and it's you know he's a total front man too he looks like a rock and roll star oh my god uh, the, the, the 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 drugs don't work there's that thing of lame going maybe you need a better fucking dealer you know if the fucking drugs don't work and they 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 banned the drugs don't work off radio because it mentioned drugs but it was about his mother dying of cancer and the drugs no longer working and that's where the song and like they were like oh they banned it off radio because they thought it was like oh buy more drugs yeah it always kind of blew my mind that, like, just in America, the Verve never caught on. It's it's people only know Bittersweet Symphony, and that's it. And it's like a Northern Soul is fucking perfect. Even the record that they came out with a few years ago, it's it's very dense, and their music is uh, it's anthematic, but also I don't know. It kind of sounds more epic. There's a lot more to the sound of the Verve than just you know. I don't know how to describe it, but it, it's it's like a more all-encompassing kind of sound with them. Yeah. It's incredible song, incredible band. All right, let's get on to She's Electric. And I want you now. I got my mind made up now. But I need more time. And I want you to say, do you know Just a fun tune. Just a fun tune. You can have a dance to it when you're drunk, she's electric. They always used to put it on the comedy clubs after the comedy club ended, and they put it on. Everyone used to have a bit of a bop to it. Yeah, you guys will actually like this one. So Noel so eloquently explained. So see if you follow this. It's about a boy who's got a girlfriend, and he used to go out with her sister that he fancies her mother, doesn't get on with her brother, and as somebody, and as somebody gets her cousin pregnant, everybody thinks it's him because he's a bit of a fucking run cunt, but who wasn't? And uh, that's literally his idea of the story. But here's the best part. Naturally, this one about this fucking run cunt has a chorus that's lifted from a children's program from the 70s called You and Me. 
So that's what the melody of the chorus is from. So, wow. Dude, they steal a lot of shit. I think they're just honest, Josh. It's almost like Easter eggs, you know, nowadays in movies where you see something in a Marvel film, you're like, oh, what's that mean? You go back to it. And I think he takes all these licks and sometimes it's just blatant. It's totally blatant. Uh, like he just ripped off uh, the doors in the in the very last, um, I forget I forget the name of the track, but uh, it's literally, nah, 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 nah. Now, he ripped off five to one. Yeah, in the in in the last Oasis album, and it's so blatant. But then there's other times where he does he did like Stairway to Heaven on his second solo album, and I forget the name the um the girl. Oh God, the girl with I forget I forget the name of the track he did, but it, it's so blatant. But it it was it was a horrible version of Stairway to Heaven. Um. But that's kind of what I like about them is that they, they're just so blatant and they're kind of honest. Step Out is a B-side that was ripped off of um, uh, uh, a Stevie Wonder song. And they, they didn't release it because they would have they had to – they already had to pay out, but they would have paid a lot, a lot more if it was on the album. I want to ask you guys this because, like, would you guys consider Liam as having a great singing voice? Because I feel like in this, this, this basically takes away any doubt that he can't sing by hitting that high note. The thing about him is – it's not the best voice in the world or whatever, but it's unique and it's his and it's uh, fucking, it rocks, man. You see it live, the guy knows how to do it. And he sings in tune. He's always in fucking tune. I've seen him so many times in concert. He's always in tune. I've seen him drunk. I've seen him hoarse, like where he's been singing too much or smoking too many tabs or whatever. And then, but he's always in tune. And sometimes he's just yelling. You know, but it's still in tune. So it sounds like you've seen a bunch of shows of theirs. Like, have there been? I used to liken me at the top, at the the peak of my drug taking when I first started getting sort of popular and all that type of stuff. I I likened myself to Oasis in the extent that I would put on a hell of a show. (laughs) One in five of them went tits up. (laughs) It was either I was hungover from the night before. I was too drunk during the show. I'd taken too many drugs <laughs> during the thing. The night before was tremendously good, yeah. and then I fuck up. You know what I mean? And so I felt like Oasis was like, you bought a ticket, you're going into the fucking raffle, you might win, you might lose, but if you win, it's going to be fucking good. Yeah, I, I remember I was in college, and it was the Morning Glory uh, tour, and I bought tickets, and I drove to Chicago and found out, oh, the, the show got canceled. This is like pre-internet um, when Liam went back to find a house for him and uh, that actress wife of his. And I was so pissed. Yeah. But I, I knew it was coming because I worked in this record store and I'd gotten all these um, bootleg CDs of them chastising audiences, shitting on the audience, telling them we're not a bunch of monkeys telling them in Vancouver they can fuck off after three songs and walking off and you hear everybody booing. It's just like, I don't know. I'd never seen that brashness before in anybody. That's my point. Every time I ever fucked up a gig, there was always people in the internet going, so, blah, 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 blah. and it's like, it never happened out of nowhere. Never happened out of fucking, they didn't just walk on and tell everyone to fuck off. That never, fuck. I, 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 I was at the gig, I was in university in Perth. I was at the, the gig, the Be Here Now tour where, they got banned off Cafe Pacific because Liam woke up late and uh, woke up late and they'd already handed out scones to everyone, right? And he told the issuers, I want a fucking scone. Why don't I get a fucking scone? 
So the news was all like he was abusive on the plane and all this type of bullshit. And then they went to Rottnest Island and the media all followed him. This little island off the coast of Perth. There's one fucking convenience store in it. They all went in there and the cameras there. And I was seeing them that night, right? And they walk out. And this is the height of their drug taking. They walk they had the, the, overproduced. The, 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 the backdrop was a phone booth and a big fucking this and a car and a that and all that type of stuff, right? Anyway, he walks out. The crowd goes massive. And he walks up and he goes, I wanted a fucking scone. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, I'm on board, man. I'm fucking on board. This is going to be great. And it was. It was one of the best concerts ever. Yeah. All right. Let's move on to Morning Glory, uh, the third single. Right, Morty? Yep. First song to really get them American airplay. This was the first single that sort of heralded this record. I mean, it wasn't technically a single. It was a third single from the record, but this is the one where, you know, that really started breaking them in America. This came out, I believe this came out like right before Wonderwall or around that time. And so people were sort of primed. This is the first one I remember seeing for this album. I don't I, I like I I never saw this or heard this. I don't think I've ever heard this on the radio. Yeah, there's like a keyhole video, I think, and they're looking through the, you know, at the door. Yeah, they were in this apartment yeah. complex and there were all crazy things going on in the different apartments, but they were rocking out and uh it was a, it was a pretty cool little yeah. video um but th- this is a great track and it, it it came in and came out with some helicopter sounds and weird where, 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 outros where, into the where, end where, 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 <laughs> yeah i heard that noel thought this was the best track he thought this would be, be the single when he wow. wrote it he thought this is the single and it never really eventuated wow that's a, it's a great track All right, then we got Swamp Song 2. It's another instrumental. And then we've come to what might be, my opinion, the best song on the record. Okay, I, I don't rate as much, but I'll tell, you, I'll tell you what I love about Champagne Supernova, right? It, I, up to that stage of me listening to music, I never ha- had a band that wrote anthems in my lifetime. Queen did it. Queen wrote songs, big ethic anthems where everyone waved their arms from side to side. All the bands I was listening to in Australia, if I can in excess and crowded house, they never wrote anthems like this. And this was the first time I heard a band do an epic type of real fucking theatrical piece, in my opinion. Well, you don't think Never Tear Us Apart is anthemic? <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. That's a that fucking. Was, that's that was a, that was a I mean, song he wrote about his belt. Really? Oh God! Jesus! <laughs> <You fucker. laughs> oh wow! Well, the, the video was trippy too. The video again. I think this is one of the few records where the videos were really, really up to speed and up to par. The visuals in this were great. It was total mod, all sixties, you know. And Liam had the beard and they had the Lennon glasses and the, the blue background, and they had some girls in there, and there's some silhouettes and stuff. And it was just a really trippy kind of video that accompanied a really like like Jim said an anthematic kind of kind of track. And this was the one I think that it's not 
as popular as Wonderwall or Don't Look Back in Anger, but you play it and people know it and people love it. And I love it. I, I love playing this in pubs all the time. Open to interpretation. They all re- how many special yeah. people change? I, I, that means something to me, and I'm sure it means something to you. But it really means nothing. You know, what I mean, but to me, it means something. Yeah. I, I know a person in my life who is special to me. You just fucking changed. You know what I mean? And then you know, it speaks to me. This song. This 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 one, like I said, that VMA performance. I see him spit. Now I try to imitate that in moments in the jam. I just think it's the coolest fucking thing in the world. It's when I think of Oasis, I don't think Wonderwall. I think Champagne Supernova. This is the one that I connect with. Morty, what do you got to tell us about this? I mean, this is the sixth. This is the final single from the album, and just like Swamp Song, I just want to say this: when I got this record first, because I got this, my friend worked at a record store. And nobody really knew Oasis, even from the first album. They never really broke in America. So I got this because Paul Weller from The Jam plays on Swamp Song. He's on harmonica and stuff on Swamp Song. And he's on this. And so I was like, oh, shit. Well, that's like getting a that's like getting like, you know, a gold star from probably one of the greatest British rock and roll guys. So I'm like, well, OK, this this passed it. So I'm looking at it and I listen to this. And this is epic. I mean, for those of you who haven't heard it, put it on. It's big and huge you can't put anything after this on the record and it's basically it's it's noel talking to the punk and the rock bands that you know they were supposed to change the world you remember like bono spraying rock and roll stops traffic or whatever this is supposed to change the world and everything and you know he he wants noel's always wanted to be a part of that movement he's wanted he believes the thing that i think most people love about them is he believes the dream that rock and roll can change the world and he's still about cocaine and girls and rock and roll like but he also believes that one great song can do it people moving their arms even with stupid lyrics like slowly walking down the hall faster than a cannonball which you know the first time you hear that you shut your mouth that's a lovely lyric yeah but even he says (laughs) when they ask noel what he means by it he's like i don't fucking know well you do it better than i would do i don't fucking know but are you telling me that you've got sixty thousand people singing it they don't know what it means it means something different to every one of them. And that's his take on it. And it's absolutely what I mean. Nobody knows the end of Hey Jude. It's just a thing that touches you. And, you know, when you're in a, stu- when you're in a stadium going na 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 with 60,000 people, nothing is more important in the world. And rock and roll absolutely, absolutely changed everything. Well, it's, it's, it truly is a testament what a guitar and, a, and unlimited amounts of cocaine and drugs can, can produce. I mean, that, that's really yeah, it. Yeah, there it is. <laughs> if anybody's listening to this in audio, you're missing out on the Steve Byrne slideshow. I'm telling you right now, it is fucking incredible, people. Go, subscribe to our YouTube, you fuckers. Um, I, I feel like this song is 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 it's touching, it's memorable. And after hearing us talk about it and realizing how anthemic this is, uh, the next time we get to do the goddamn comedy jam together, we are closing the jam with this bucket. I didn't even think about that. I didn't even. Everybody knows the chorus to this. Everybody, everybody knows. Everybody this one, yeah. knows the chorus. It's 
it's it might not be the best song on the record, but it's damn near my favorite. And it's you know when I think of Oasis, this is the song I take with me. It's you know more than anything else. Um, you want to do some facts, and we'll get you guys out of here. Uh, are we doing the facts? No, we're gonna do. Marty's oh, okay. Do I can give you some facts. <laughs> I'll throw them at you. You guys just, enjoy it. It'd just be about my life, you know. <laughs> but uh, I can give <laughs> exactly. <laughs> okay, so uh, they were so popular in England, as Steve brought up earlier. In '95, a single was released. You want to hold it up because this is going to be a great, it's a great visual representation. Wibbling rivalry. Yeah, wibbling rivalry came out. Now it's just Noel and Liam arguing and swearing at each other during an interview, but that became a single. Wibbling rivalry, and it's literally just about Noel. Noel is is of the mindset that you know the songs will live forever. We've got to be a great rock and roll band. And Liam at the time got kicked off a ferry going to Scotland because he was acting up along with other members of the band. They got kicked off it because they were drunk and on drugs. And Noel's whole point was, you can't be acting like that. We, you know, a rock and roll band is essentially what they're coming to see. And we got to blow their tits off when they come see us. And Liam's like, no, rock and roll is the attitude. It's, 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 a, it's a way of life. And if I want to do the drugs, if I want to get in fistfights, that's rock and roll. And so it's them going back and forth the whole time. And it's pretty fucking funny. <laughs> Did you find it, JT? Yeah. It's like a modern version of the Trogs tapes. Is it on? Is it on fucking Spotify? Is this yeah. like a what's it called? What, yeah, Steve, I got it. Right. Is it called Wibbling? Yeah. I'll, I'll bring it up. W i b b l i n g. If you're right, well, if you're right, well, if you're proud about getting thrown off ferries, then why don't you go and support West Ham? Get the fuck out of my band and go be a football hooligan, right? Because we're musicians, right? It didn't like chart, did it? Oh yeah, top ten. Well, yeah, I hit it. Yeah. So yeah, they, they didn't like play the like, all right, it's on BBC Radio 1. It's the new track Body Oasis. Here we go. No, idiots like me went out and bought the yeah. damn thing, and that's why yeah, I charged yeah. it. You bought everything, dude. You bought it. With the internet, it never would have happened. It would have just been a YouTube clip, you know. But yeah, back in the day, we had, to, we had to look out for fucking things, bro. If anyone wants to know anything more about Oasis, just go onto fucking Netflix and watch Super Sonic. It's a great documentary. Yeah. That's everything you need to know. And that's. It's- and that's them sort of them talking about it in hindsight and apart and to get, you know, it's a very good documentary. Well, I'll tell you, you know, if you've seen it, you know that Noel Gallagher, Noel Gallagher takes a, takes a pot shot at Phil Collins and in a really humorous way. And recently I saw a thing where Noel Gallagher was being interviewed by children on YouTube. And this kid asked, this kid asked, Noel, what who, what his favorite dinosaur is, and he said Phil Collins. Like, <laughs> like just off the top, I was like, God damn, he's so quick! Wow, they're very witty. All right, Morty, what else you got? All right, um, this was named so. Okay, so uh, the Brit Awards. So you know, you know, big big ceremony, England. So for the thirtieth anniversary of the Brit Awards, the best British best British album of the last thirty years was given to this. Liam goes up, accepts the award, looks at it. Throws the award and the microphone into the crowd. Yeah, he, he's a, yeah he's a charming fella. Yeah, but also that was that was part of the downfall with Michael Hutchins as well. Was when Michael Hutchins presented to them at I think the Q Awards, and he, he said something along the lines of a whole bunch of somebody's getting an award from a nobody or something along that lines. And it's really- I saw a documentary on Michael Hutchins recently that released, and they said that that was something that really bothered him for quite a period yeah. of time. I mean, he was a sensitive boy. His favorite Beatles song is Nothing to Get Hung About. 
Oh. That was just for Jim. Oh, Jim can't Hello. make a belt joke? Yeah, but yeah, I've, I've got the charm to pull it off. I tell you, you can't, you can't come in with just like, and that guy hung himself with his dick hanging out. Wait, I didn't even know about that part. Actually, it turns out, it turns out I can do it. Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. Look at that charm. <laughs> I want to give a little shout out today. This is a little thing that I want to do just quickly. I know that none of you will know this, but there was a promoter in Australia called Michael Gadinsky who used to always tour me in Australia, like arena tours. He toured the Rolling Stones. He toured Oasis. He toured everybody. This is how I'm connecting it all up. This guy started out as a teenager um, promoting bands and stuff like that. I used to go gambling with him after my gigs where he would give me $100,000 to fucking gamble and go, you can have some. And then like if I won some for him or it's like being a kid around this guy. He was like a fucking billionaire promoter. He, he was the best guy. He died today. And I just want to give a shout out. If you want to read about a wild fucking guy who was the best hangover, Michael Gadinsky, and he was the top promoter to bring bands into Australia. Before Michael Gadinsky, we didn't have big bands like you 2 coming to see us. They just didn't fucking visit. And he organized all of it. He died today. So quick shout out to, to him and his family, and he'll be very missed. Lovely. Yeah. Sorry right. about that. No, that was lovely. <laughs> no, it's all right. All right, Morty, you got more shit? Yeah, I got a couple more. Uh, let's uh, let's talk, let's do this. We we talked about this earlier for a second, but to hear it in context. So the Oasis versus Blur battle hit its most controversial moment after Noel said he hoped Blur's Damon Albarn, who's the singer, and Alex James, who's the bass player, would catch AIDS and die. So after the expected outrage, which really was, I mean, there really was, you know, he they let a lot go, but England really like freaked out over that. He downgraded it, and he said that he hoped they'd catch a bad cold. So you know he made up for that's, it. Yeah, that's not too. Well, bad. Look, that's that's pretty good because a cold these days can kill you. Well, yeah. age you live forever. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I I I think I I think Magic Johnson will die of a cold before HIV. I'll tell you that. Oh, hundred percent, dude. <laughs> All right, let's do some rapid fire questions. Right. Uh, this has been great, guys. This has been phenomenal. All right, for this is for both of you guys. So just uh, whoever wants to go first when I ask it. Uh, favorite song on the record? Some might say, yeah. Some might say. Wow, both of you. Um, all right, least favorite song on the record? Swamp song. Uh, Morning Glory. Morning Glory for me. Right, I still like it. Oh, it doesn't mean it's bad, but it's the one that you're like, yeah. I mean, I'm not. I might. I might skip it. Might. Uh, all right. What song on this record would you fuck to? I've fucked to all of them, but not yeah, not, yeah. But but it hasn't been the one fuck. I've had to do it over twelve times. Yeah. <laughs> I've done the whole album in a week. Yeah. Um. I right. there, there wasn't even another person in the room. Oh, good God! I definitely say Champagne Supernova because it starts off really, really slow. It builds to a crescendo. And then it whimpers out. I, did, so yeah, yeah. I like roll with it because if you, yeah. dun, 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 dun. <laughs> you're like, really fucking it. You, you, oh, oh, no oh, no oh, one oh, makes oh. love to roll with it. You fuck to roll with it. Dude, I'm yeah. I'm fucking the morning glory, dude, because I want to like I want to have her on the bed, and then it's those noises. Down, 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 down. I just come out all naked and erect. <laughs> and then all you need is, and then I'm just fucking. Rapid fire, bro. All right. Liam or Noel? Okay, this is a very tricky question. And I, I, I love them both in different ways. 
unlike Liam Solo work more. I'm gonna have to say Ooh. Liam. But Noel okay. Noel is the person I want to hang out with more. But Liam. I got Liam. Liam's yeah. Liam Liam's Liam's the last great rock star. We we haven't had one since. He's the last and yeah. even Noel says it. He's a rock star in in the purest meaning of the thing. He's a fucking star. He's a star. And he hasn't lost it at all. Like you see a lot of the rock stars we started with, they just start to fade. They don't look good. They don't, I mean, this guy has looked like a rock star since he was 18 and he still looks like a rock star and he's got to be in his fifties now. Right. There's about and four still, people on the planet that are uncancelable. You can't cancel Liam Gallagher. You can't cancel. He knocks yeah, up fucking true. MTV reporters that he had an interview with. He gets them pregnant and they fuck it. They can't cancel him. He could, he could come out dressed like him. they wouldn't care. It's just like, oh well, that's Liam. What's he up to? He's causing him. He's uncancelable. Yeah. Name name me other people in this planet that are uncancelable. Is that the right word? Cancelable? Cancel? Anyway, you know cancel. what I'm saying. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can't cancel him. That's a very rare thing in our society. Yeah. Well, I think any Democratic president or <laughs> Liam Gallagher. Yeah, yeah. You can't cancel yeah. him. I, I hear he's cute. I hear he's farming children off in a- <laughs> <laughs> Um, Do you think they will ever get back together? I do. Yeah. I do. And I think it's, I think, I think we're about, because Liam desperately wants to get back together. He's yes, like, I mean, when they did the Ariana Grande, he's yeah. like, why don't you come and fucking sing your songs, man? The fucking kids want it, man. There was a big fucking explosion, you know? And then he tweets like, I'm ready when you're fucking ready. And then he'll tweet something like, fucking potato head and start teasing his brother and you're yeah, like yeah and i watch these tweets i'm like liam you were so close yeah you were you were making a bridge and then you fucking burn it down in the next fucking tweet you dumb cunt right yeah. but i believe that and I, I don't think we'll ever come down to money i think they've both got more than enough money that they ever need it's not going to be like like guns and roses sort yeah. of like we didn't really invest very well and blah 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 let's just do this right I feel like it was a begrudging type of thing. I don't think it will ever be like a let's get the cash type of get back together. I think it'll be like, all right, you've apologized. I've apologized. Let's fucking do it. But this is my belief. They will get back together and they will break up again. Yeah. There's a part of me that doesn't want them to get together again because I read, as a Beatles fan, and I just read the book The Last Days of John Lennon by James Patterson, and it's a great read. And I got to tell you, I don't know. I I think the myth of the band just is that much more accentuated when it's like, oh, they could have, they should have, they, why didn't they? And there were all these moments where they almost got together and they just never did. And I think that provides something to the mystique of the band. And I also think that, you know, they certainly were a moment in time and I'll never replicate that moment in time again in my life. But the closest I'll come is when I get my car and I get in the highway and I put that in and I just drive fast as hell, listen to some might say, and I put the windows down, I sing at the top of my lungs. I, that was that to me was everything back in those in the nineties and early two thousands. I tell you what, if live. they do get back together, the band that I want, the band that I we'll, we'll do it, Steve. We'll make the trip, right? The band that I want to get Fuck back yeah. together is the band on this album and this album alone, right? I want. I want fucking Bonehead. Yeah, yeah, I don't want yeah, the yeah, original yeah. drummer. I want White, right? I want Alan White, and I want yep. that that Giggsy, Alan White. Yeah, oh, that's Bigsy, the band that yeah. I want to see. As nice as the other lads were on the other band albums, and, and, and professional and good, and all, yeah, and all that type of stuff. 
I want to see this band and this album get back together. I honestly think that they are going to get back together in 2022. I don't know what is making me think that, but I saw a couple tweets recently. And I also feel because of the pandemic and the way that the world is and, and I, hopefully it's, it brings them to realize that, you know, Hey man, we're, if we're going to do it, we got to do it now. If they and get I, back it, together, do they sell yeah. out a stadium in America? Cause they never did that in America. Yes. yes I don't know. Well, I'll be honest. I don't think so. I think that, I think they would be like a Coachella thing. I think they would be, they would have like, they could do well, but I don't think it's, I don't think that's important to them. I think, I think oh, it's, I'll, I'll fly to the UK. If yeah. I think that's the important thing. It's almost like when Zeppelin got back together or anything, there's no point. They've already conquered what they need to conquer. You know, I like, uh, to me, I'd love to see Morrissey and Mar get back together and play the same show with Oasis. That to me is the two Manchester bands would be the ultimate oh it's stone roses too i'd love to see john squire and ian get back together Here we go. I, I'll, I'll give you i'll give you one i won't say who okay so i'll give you some bands all right uh happy mondays in spiral carpets and uh, uh i've already named two anyway one of the guitarists was my cocaine dealer when i used to live in manchester oh. so there you go do some hey, hunting yeah. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> Well, here's, here's my question for you guys. If they did get together, right, we're all assuming it's a tour. Do you think that they would ever put an album out together again? I, I think, oh, well, I, no. I th- no, I think if they, no, I think they definitely would. I think if they get back together, they will release a single and that will be the whole thing. We've got a new yeah. song or whatever, like that type of stuff. But uh, yeah, I, you know, it's, it's, it's like the Beatles. When the Beatles broke up, there's tracks off every single album that the Beatles had that if you put them all together you could have made a great fucking album. Yeah. And and the Noel albums and Liam albums, they are closer to having a killer record between the two of them broken up than they did together. And they did yeah. together for the last ten years. For the last ten years they're closer now to having a great album than they were back then. Yeah, I agree. I think the the breakup only benefited uh Liam because Liam has kind of come to his own and and he sounds the most he still has his own identity, but his songs sound the most like an Oasis song. If you're going to go down the rabbit hole, Noel's got some like dance hall tracks and stuff and Black Star Rising. I'm like, well, what the fuck Liam is this? Liam literally sings songs. There was a documentary on Liam and they reckon that the only, the only person was, he's performing yeah. to is Noel, to prove himself to Noel. So he still looks at, and like, like for what it's worth, I'm sorry. It's like song direct, directly yeah. saying to him. Now, I'm not being a conspiracy theorist where I think this means this. They, these are songs that are directly sung to his brother. And so I think he desperately Absolutely. wants to get back in the band together. Yeah. It's got to be, be, be hard for Noel because Noel writes everything. But when people think of the singer of the band, they think of Liam. You know, it's like Pete Townsend and Roger Daltrey. You know, Pete Townsend writes everything. But Rogers, I think Noel will look at a record and go, this is the record I finally, like, like Pete does with Roger. I think he'll look and he'll go, I've got eight songs and I can now give Liam these eight mm-hmm. songs. He's the one that'll knock these out of the park. I just want to, I just want to confess something very quickly. When I said those two bands, I didn't actually mention the band of the guy who was drug dealer chicken out on that joke. I know who it is because you told Black me You told me. I've been, I've been thinking about it ever since. I'm like, I've incriminated someone, but the actual band I didn't fucking mention. But I have, I, I have told Josh in the past, and it's, yeah. a, it's, a, it's an actually it's a bigger band than the two bands that I just wow. mentioned. But 
Yeah. I'll tell you as soon as we stop the podcast. Wow. How was how wait, but guys, well, let's not talk about what Vitaly's up to these days. <laughs> Millie died, but you know how was how was the cocaine? Oh, it, it it ranged from good to bad, depending on what batch he fucking got. You know, he wasn't he wasn't a great drug dealer. He's just a bloke who hung out at the Manchester Comedy Store a lot. <laughs> was he a good guitar player? <laughs> Serviceable. Serviceable. He could strum. Sometimes too fast because he was uh, jacked up. All right, last question. Does this deserve to be on the 500 greatest albums list? Yeah. 100% it does, yeah. 100%. Absolutely. I, I think it was it was at the time they were the biggest band in the world. And they always had aspirations to be the biggest band in the world. But for literally a few months over the course of, what was it 1995? 1995, they were the biggest band in the world. So much so they hit the, the cover of Rolling Stone. They came, they were doing arenas in the States. I mean, that was always the benchmark, right? Is the States and things would always go fall apart. But those those three songs, especially Wonderwall, Don't Look Back in Anger, Champagne Supernova. You could go to South Africa, you could go to England, Australia, India, anywhere you want, and you play those songs, and, and people will know that in any bar or pub, a hundred percent. It's one of the one of those bands that if you meet someone who has a CD collection and they've only got twenty CDs, it's a good yeah, thing. sure. No, I completely, I completely <laughs> That's agree. A great way to put it. I think this album's phenomenal. I think it's, I like I said, I think it's one of the most important. British and I think this is Britpop but I think it's one of the most important British bands and albums uh definitely of the last you know 30 40 years it, it's it's incredible and it's, they were it's the like, biggest band in the world in spite of themselves they were canceling gigs and not showing up and they were still the biggest one let's put this in comedy right like we all know about comedy right imagine there was a comic who was so good that sometimes they just didn't show up I, I don't know what I don't know one. And then people still bought tickets again a week later. They still went, all right, I'll give it another go. You don't think Chappelle could do that? You don't think Chappelle could get away with that? Yeah, but he hasn't done it. Chappelle, don't show up a few times and prove it to us. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Why doesn't Chappelle fucking put his foot in the water and see if that happens? You know what I mean? Like fucking. There are certainly comics I know that the staff would wish they wouldn't show up. I know know a lot of comics who have shot themselves in the foot. You know what happens when they shoot themselves in the foot? They don't have a fucking foot and they fall over. Yeah, Oasis kept on shooting themselves in the foot and they were running forward. But you think about like the greatest British bands to come out of, you know, England the last 20 years. You you, you know, there's a lot of people that say Radiohead or Oasis. And I'm telling you, after my shows, I find a dive bar. I find an Irish pub. I get some Jameson. I relax. And I've never heard radio played in a pub. I've heard Oasis played in a pub. Yeah. Nine times out of ten, I, I hear yeah, no, all the time. No one ever gets all together for Radiohead and sing, sings together. They yeah, never that, fucking do it. That's what I said. Is I, I, I wish this were their third album, because where it is in, in its sort of ferocity of what it is is this anthemic album. If this were their third album, I think they were already huge, but this would have changed everything because "Be Here Now" sort of sputtered apart with the drugs, and it was and because of this album being so huge. That was such an expected, you know, that was like, I remember being at Tower Records when that came out. People are like, this, you heard that album? This is good. I wish, because this album is what I thought their third album would be like, Be Here Now. If that had come out, it would it would have been over. You know what I mean? It would have been like. I remember I, I read in an interview that Noel said that his friend had the best analogy for Be Here Now. He said, get all your friends, get them to your house, get all the drugs, do all the drugs, play this, 
and then throw the album out and never listen to it again. I was like, oh, that's... Damn it, I wish I would have listened to that record on Coke, dude. God damn it. Wow. Uh, you're not dead yet, mate. Yeah. I know, I know. Is it, is it a Mushroom record? We'll do mm. Mushrooms and we'll listen to it. Okay, you like cool. Mushrooms, Steve? Oh, you live in fucking Nashville. <laughs> never, yeah. <laughs> I'll be out in LA soon. I'll hit you boys up. No, no, I'm all, I'm all, I'm all right with doing mushrooms in in uh, in Nashville. It's just that we buy them here and I don't fly with them. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. It's, it's like I'm a, I'm yeah. a local mushroom guy. Uh, <laughs> I like uh, that that farm to table mushrooms. <laughs> <laughs> and you get your mushrooms from a bass player that yeah, was yeah, eating yeah, your yeah, culture yeah. club. Yeah, I, 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 get, I, get, I get all my mushrooms yeah, from Boy yeah. George. Yeah, <laughs> uh, guys, this was phenomenal. Uh, thank you for coming, both of you guys, on um, promote away. Uh, Jim, go ahead. I got, I got nothing to promote. It turns out there's a pandemic happening, and podcast. I don't have any gigs. Podcast. Oh, I got a podcast, Jim Jeffries. I don't know about that podcast. Look at that. <laughs> my my assistants taped that to the fucking wall. So you didn't know about the podcast. It's, it's, a, it's a podcast <laughs> where, where I don't know what the topic's going to be and we get a specialist come on and then I try to spout off everything I know about it. And so it's called I Don't Know About That. And we talk about everything from fucking politics to aliens to fucking cheese to wars and all that type of stuff. We might talk about this. I know about this. So it won't be a good topic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Steve, what do you got? Uh, I'm on a podcast with Brian Callen called Big and Hungry, and my film uh, that I wrote and directed about stand-up comedy called The Opening Act is available to rent or own. So, yeah. It's phenomenal too, buddy. That's still the thing that upsets me more than Thank anything you. was that you called me to be in it when I was fucking doing a festival. To be, but, of course, to play like a homeless guy, right? I was supposed to be like a... Yeah, Uptown problems. Yeah, that says a lot about you. He didn't call me to play a homeless guy. He didn't think oh, about that's, that's just, just, just like how your brand is. Right you point. don't know shit. I my brand is homeless guy. <laughs> I don't have the great. You wouldn't have an Australian homeless bloke. Like how bad did this holiday go? <laughs> right. Can I get a dollar from you? This guy's like, oh, fucking give me a dollar, will you? Come on, you cunt. How did you get to America? Don't know. Yeah. I, I bought the ticket, but I didn't think out the full trip. <laughs> uh, Morty, go ahead. You got anything? Uh, just follow me on Twitter, DJ Morty Coyle, and all my other information's up on there, everybody. And tell us how you love this show, because we've had really great Ardent supporters coming up. Shout out to uh, JT, TJ. Shout out to TJ, who is one of our big Fleece Army guys. And, you know, can't thank you guys enough for sharing your passion for this album, man. Yeah. Uh, JT, you got anything? Even though you really didn't say anything? JT underscore podcast exec and ncpodcast.com for all our podcasts. Once again, guys, I can't thank you enough. This was so much fucking fun, man. What did I tell you? What did I tell you? The one and only Jim Jeffries and Steve Byrne. Guys, check out Jim Jeffries' podcast. I don't know about that. It's on all platforms. It's with my buddy Forrest Shaw and Jim, and it's hilarious. Make sure you check out Steve Burns' podcast, Big and Hungry, with Brian Callen. It's on all platforms. Once again, hysterical comedians, hysterical dudes. I love both those guys to death. For all things Jim, go to his website, www.jimjeffries.com, and follow him on all social media, at Jim Jeffries. And for all things Steve, go to his website, steveburnlive.com, and follow him on on all social media at Steve Byrne Live. Now, 
We just listened to Oasis from 1995 for new music this week. We got Nigel Clark from the band Dodgy. The track's called Here Today, and it's off of Nigel's new solo record, Make Believe Love, which came out in December. Dodgy were an English rock band that were contemporaries of Oasis and rose to prominence during the Britpop era of the 90s. Nigel wrote and recorded Make Believe Love in 2000. After Dodgy broke up, he returned to London and decided to mix and release the album with help from some of Birmingham's finest musicians. You can find all the links on our website, the500podcast.com. And if you want your music featured on the 500 because you were influenced by one of these albums or artists, send us your song, you fuckers, to 500podcast at gmail.com. Make sure you put the album and artist that influenced you in the subject line. Next week is John Lee Hooker Week. We're going deep into his 1991 compilation record, The Ultimate Collection, 48 through 90. You got some homework to do. It's a longie, but it's a strongie. Do your homework, listen to the record, stay fleecy, a doogle doogle.
You can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey there, I am Johnny Christ from Avenged Sevenfold, and I've got a podcast called Drinks with Johnny you're going to want to check out. I sit down with a bunch of different people from all different walks of life, from professional wrestlers to actors, comedians, fighters, musicians, everything in between. I'm just looking to make some friends and have a good time doing it. So if that sounds like something you're into, go check out Drinks with Johnny, streaming everywhere now. Next Chapter Podcasts.